listening to the Forefront Church Podcast in New York City, where our vision is to see lives, neighborhoods, and our city renewed through Jesus. So a couple weeks ago, I'm in downtown Brooklyn, and I'm walking with my two daughters, and I have them, you know, I'm holding each hand. And uh, my daughters, one of them is talking about uh, what she wants for her birthday, which is in January, so that was something. And then the other one is talking about what she's going to be for Halloween. And uh, we're walking along. And as we walk, I look in the distance about 20 yards up, and about 20 yards up, I see a woman who is obviously asking for something. She's asking for money, she's asking for food, she's telling a story, she's doing something. And so I see her in the distance, and uh, in my mind, I'm like, you know, this is going to be like the second or third time since I got off the subway that I'm going to see somebody asking for something. And so I decide that when I walk by with my kids, I'm not going to try to listen to her story, I'm just going to ignore her. And so uh, as she starts to talk to me when I walk by, you know, I just listen to what my daughter wants for, you know, her birthday or whatever, even though it's eight months away. So I, I do that. And then we walk a couple of hundred yards. And we walk a couple of hundred yards, and uh, we get to the place we're going. Now, the place we're going is an apartment complex, and it has a security gate. Uh, and so at the security gate is a security guard. And so as we walk up to the security gate, I hear the security guard go, yeah, go ahead, go right through. And um, so I start walking right through. And as I walk through, I hear the security guard again. He goes, hey! And I turn around. And he's looking at his phone. And what I realized is that he was talking to somebody on his phone. He wasn't talking to me. So uh, he's still looking at his phone. He goes, I wasn't talking to you. And I go, all right. He goes, where are you going? And I say, you know, I'm going to this apartment. And he goes, why didn't you sign in? And I go, I I didn't know I had to sign in. And he goes, well, sign in. And he's still not looking at me. He's looking at his phone. And my wife starts to sign in. Juby starts signing in. And, um, And so I say, my wife's signing in. And he goes, he looks at Juby, who's there signing in, and he looks at me finally, and he goes, that's, that's your wife? As if to say, like, no, like, stop lying to me. Like, and I go, no, that's my wife. And he sort of looks at me, like, like, with this way of, like, you are small. Like, he looks at me that way, and he just sort of nods his head, as if to say, like, go ahead, go in. So I go in, and I'm walking through, and Juby comes up to me, and Juby goes, you know, how do you feel? Aren't you mad? Aren't you mad about what, what he did? And I was like, no. Like, I'm not mad. I'm really incredibly sad. And she's like, why are you really incredibly sad? And I was like, I am a white man in America. I get acknowledged all the time. All the time I get acknowledged. It's just the way it is. Um, and I said, for one minute, for one minute when I felt disrespected, for one minute when I felt like I wasn't being acknowledged, I could only think that this is how people feel every single day. This is how they feel every day. And for one minute, I felt this way. And all I could think is that every single minute of this day that that woman that I passed on the street tries to tell her story, there are people like me who pass her by, making her feel insignificant. And I am sad because I am wrong. I think we all have been in a position where we've passed people by, where we've walked by. We, we sometimes will say people are, are uh, uh, voiceless, or we, we call them ghosts. They blend into the background. We don't really see them. Um, you know, they, they have their issues, and, and, and so as we walk through the streets with millions of other people, eh, you know, we pass them by. We don't give them another thought. Maybe there are people who are marginalized or oppressed. Maybe they don't look like us. Maybe they're not dressed as nicely as we are. And so what we say is, oh, they're... They're, they're the ones that we can't see, right? They're the invisible people. <clears throat> well, I have a confession to make. I have a confession. The truth of the matter is that I see those people. 
I see those people. In fact, I saw that woman from 20 yards away. I see those people. But what I do is this. I, I, I see them, but I don't choose to see them. I choose to see their failure. What I do is I choose to see their failure. I choose to see that they don't, uh, aren't put together the way that I'm put together. They, they do have an illness that, that is shown in an outward way. They, they are struggling. They do have an addiction. They don't look the way that I think they should look. You know, they, so so I, I don't see them. What I choose to see is I choose to see their failure. I choose to see their failure. And something tells me I'm not alone in that. Something tells me that there's a few of us here who have done or think the same thing. We don't see people. We see their failure. Why would we focus on their failure so much? Why? Because the truth is, I think, is that we focus on our failure. Raise your hand. How many people have an easier time focusing on their problems, their failures, than they do their successes? Way more than first service. You guys are my crowd. (laughs) Nice, nice. That's good. That's good. Yeah, we have an easier time focusing on our failures rather than our successes. You know, when I was a teacher, there was a rule, and this rule was backed up by study after study, and it said this, for every failure that a child has, that child must hear words of affirmation or praise nine times before they'll forget about that one failure that they have. Nine times they have to hear affirmation before they forget about their failure. And you know what? That doesn't apply to just fifth grade students. That applies to all of us, every single one of us. We are so quick to hang on to our failures. We are. It doesn't matter um, that we were just named uh, you know, the most exciting person in the world. I don't know. It doesn't matter that we were you know, just received this award or did this. The thing that we think about is the fact that our company downsized and, oh, yeah, we got let go. There must be an issue with me. It doesn't matter um, uh, that you are the most creative person that are, are bringing life change to other people and bringing life change to your neighborhood. You're upset by the fact that you know, you're not in the relationship you should be in. Uh, we've been trying for two years. We still can't have a baby. I thought I was going to be a CEO, but I live with three roommates in, in a little apartment. And, and it's not what it should be. Things aren't what they should be. And so instead of focusing on the fact that God made me to, made me to be someone who is incredible and life-giving and, and somebody who has a ton of talent, I focus on my failure. So of course when we focus on our failure, of course we're going to focus on the failure of others. Of course we're going to pay attention to the failures of other people. Of course we'll say, I don't see you, I will see your failure. Today's scripture is uh, incredibly straightforward. It's incredibly straightforward. There's a lot of good stuff here. I don't know how much we're going to really dive into it, but the thing I love about this scripture is it talks about the way our failure looks in God's economy, in the gospel economy. So if you have your your Bible apps and your iPhones, go ahead, take them out, and scroll to Acts chapter 3. You know, no texting, all right, while you do this. All right, let's read Acts chapter 3, and I'm I'm going to start at verse, um, I'm going to start right at verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going in to the temple courts. So, a few significant things about this. If you were a a follower of the Judeo God, okay, and you saw a man begging and a man whose legs didn't work, there was one reason and one reason only this man's legs didn't, didn't work. Uh, it was because he had sinned. 
It's because him or his family had sinned before God. That was it. There was no room for debate on this. If your legs didn't work or something was wrong with you, if you were a beggar, you must have done something wrong to make God upset. And if you've made God upset, of course you're going to be a beggar and of course your legs aren't going to work. You've been cursed. You've been cursed by God. This is what Jewish law said. So you are not going to focus on a person by law. You are going to focus on that person's failure. So if you are walking up to the temple, in fact, you're going to say, hey kids, look, you ever want to go far away from God? This is what's going to happen to you. Don't go far away from God. Your family might end up like this. Don't sin. You could be a beggar too. You are literally told that you should focus on this person's failure. This person is what not to do. Right? Don't do this. Don't be far from God. This will happen. Ironically, the reason they talk about it being 3 p.m., at this time, is because 3 p.m. was when all the cool kids went to church. Um, it was when all the righteous people went to church. And so all the righteous people are showing up, and ironically, they're all trying to outdo one another and give the most money to the beggars um, because they're, what, are they trying? they're trying to mask their own failure, right? Sort of what's going on there. So that's kind of an ironic thing. So that's happening, and so it's in this climate where all this is happening that Peter and John come up, and, and, and this is what Peter says to this, this uh, man who's begging. Peter says, hey... Look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong, and he jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with them to the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. There's so many amazing parts to this, this miracle. There's some great stuff here. I like it because it's the first time that we see the promise of Jesus through the Holy Spirit in Acts. So we see Jesus show up, uh, and, and he does this amazing healing, and he says, I'll be with you, and this is one of the ways that he's with you. That's, that's pretty cool. And there's a lot of great stuff here that, that shows us what the gospel of Jesus looks like, what this gospel economy looks like. But, but what I want to focus on, what I want to pay attention to more than anything else is the fact that, that Peter says, hey, Hey, look at me. Look at me. In other words, he's saying, hey, I see you. I see that you're lame. I see that you're a beggar. I see that you're oppressed. I see that you've had a hard go. And what I'm telling you is in God's economy, you are fully human. In this economy, this gospel economy, you have all the rights and privileges of everybody else. In this economy, I don't see your failure. I simply see you. I see you. That's what Peter's saying. He goes, I want to manifest that. I want to show you exactly what the gospel economy looks like. You're healed. This is what it looks like. You're full. You're human with the rights and privileges that every human being deserves. I see you. I love that Peter has the courage to say this. He has the courage to say, I see you. I love it. You know why? You know why I think Peter has the courage to do this? Because Peter was a grade A failure himself. Raise your hand if you've heard of Peter's failure before. If you know what it is. All right, some of you do. Peter, when Jesus was arrested, denied Jesus. So at the time when, when Jesus you know, possibly needed Peter the most, uh, Peter goes, no, I never knew him. I don't know this guy. You know, it's that unpardonable sin, right? It's the one that you're never supposed to turn your back on Jesus. And yet what Peter does is go, no, I don't know him. I'm turning my back. And not only does he do it once, he does it three times. You know how colossal this sin is? This sin is so incredibly big that every year for the past 2,000 years, we talk about this sin during Holy Week. 
Okay, that's how big this sin is. Every year we talk about how Peter denied Jesus three times. Okay, it makes viral video people seem a lot less bad, right? Like the Star Wars kid, like it's only been five, six years for you. You're good to go, man. Like Peter, 2,000 years, right? 2,000 years we talk about Peter's failure. But what happens? What does Jesus do? Jesus ends up going to Peter. The resurrected Jesus goes to Peter and he says, Peter, hey, you love me? And the word he uses is agape. Like, so it's, it's not this beautiful love. It's not like this, this wonderful love or this ideal love. Agape love is like broken love. Agape love is like messed up love. It's the imperfect love. It's the love that like we all have. It's that sacrificial, it's kind of messy, doesn't quite always work, but, but we, we have our best in it. That's agape love. So Jesus says, hey, Peter, do you love me in your messed up, imperfect, failing kind of way? And Peter goes, yeah, yeah I love you. And then Jesus does it three times. You know, it's a little jab, right? right? He does it three times. And every time Peter goes, yes, I, lo- I love you. And Jesus goes, that messed up, that I see you. I see you're messed up. I see you. I see, I see your failure. I see what you've done. I see your brokenness. I see the imperfections you have. And you know what, Peter? I'm going to take what you got. I'm going to take what you have got. Now go feed my sheep. Now go do something with that. Now go make something happen. Now go change history. Go do that, Peter. I see your imperfections, but I see you. And you're the one that's going to change this place. There are two incredible stories of failure amongst the disciples in Scripture. Two giant, colossal stories. There's Judas, who betrays Jesus. There's Peter, who denies Jesus, right? So uh, Judas, he betrays Jesus. You know what I think? I personally, if I'm just giving liberty, I think that Jesus would have forgiven Judas. I think Jesus would have said, Judas, you're forgiven. You're imperfect. It's okay, I see you. But what does Judas do? Judas focuses on his failure. And in his focus on his failure, he kills himself. And then we have Peter. Peter focuses beyond failure, beyond this failure, to the fact that Jesus sees him as human anyway, and it changes the world for the cause of Christ. Let me ask you another question. How many people know someone named Judas? Anybody know anybody named Judas? I don't. How about Peter? Anybody know someone named Peter? Because what do we do? When people who are abject failures and are broken turn around and focus beyond their failure to change things, we build shrines for these people. We name middle schools after these people. We name our kids after these people. And in our gospel economy... And in our gospel economy, we have a Jesus who says, hey, do you love me? Do you love me with your imperfect, broken, messed up love? You love me with that love? And we're all sitting here going, I guess. Yeah, I think so. Today I do. We'll see what tomorrow brings. And Jesus says, good. I see you. I see you. Now go see somebody else. Now go see somebody else. What if? What if we said, what if, what if we said, hey, hey, what if we said to somebody, hey, I see you. What would what would that change? What would that do? Um, a couple weeks ago, this woman named Nikki Lerner was here, and she led worship here, and it was pretty incredible. And, um, and she told a story about when the Michael Brown shooting happened, and there were protests in Ferguson, and she, just, she felt lost and hurt and angry. She didn't quite know what to do with herself. And she said, you know, I was going through the office, and I was, you know, just, just feeling lost. And she said, one of my coworkers came up to me, and my coworker took me by the shoulders, and my coworker said to me, hey, I see you. I see you today. I see what you're going through. She said it just made her 
just like melt. Like, it's just so profound. It made her feel like she wasn't alone in this process. What would happen if we said to somebody, I see you, I see you. And I know what you're thinking. Like right now, the amount of people that, that need to hear that, it feels insurmountable. It feels really, really big, right? But what if... um. But what if we just picked one or two? What if this week we all were like, you know what, I'm going to say to one or two people, I'm going to let them know that they're seen, that I don't see their failure, that I see them. I'm going to, I'm going to let the, the, the person, the, the barista that makes my coffee in the morning, I'm going to let them know that I see them. I'm going to let the bus driver who looks like he's had the longest day ever, I'm going to let him know, I see you. You know, the, the, the coworker that nobody ever talks to, I'm going to let them know. I see them. The person right here in this community, at this church, that I never say hi to, I just walk right by, I'm going to stop this time. I'm going to say, I see you. What kind of difference would it make? And yeah, the people on the street, the person you see on the street, on your way to work every day, same person, same sign, what would happen if we stopped and said, I see you? What would that change? You know, that person on the street that I passed by with my kids, Juby stopped. Of course, Juby stopped. She always stops. And Juby found out that this woman was just, being re- just had been released from prison. She said, I've just been released from prison, and I just need a ride. I need transportation to get where I'm supposed to go. And so Juby said, okay, and helped her you know, get transportation set up so that this woman could go to where she needed to go. In essence, my wife said, I see you. That's the thing with prison, though. Prisoners, you know, prisoners are, are, are people that we absolutely do not want to see. You know, we have 5% of, of the world's population, yet we have 25% of the world's prison population. 7.3 million people, uh, this is a, a five-year-old study, 7.3 million people are either in prison or in the parole system in the United States. That is one out of every 31 adults. You want to know why that's true? That's true because when, when we think about prison, we say, I don't want to see anything about you. I just pay attention to your failure. I see that you are a criminal. I see that you've made a bad decision. I see that you are in a cycle of criminal activity. I see your failure. Now go away from me. I don't want to see you anymore. We push people away. And, and when people have done their time and they come back out, you know what we end up doing? We end up doing this. We end up saying, uh, you know what? I still see you as a convict. I still see you as a felon. I still see you as your mistake. I still see you as a bad judgment. And then we wonder why three out of every four people go back to prison in five years. We, why are they going back to Well, we, they're going back to prison because we don't see them as human beings. We see them as your failure, as a failure. We are incredibly privileged today to start working in this gospel economy. And we get the privilege today to hear from a group called Defy Ventures. What does Defy do? Defy simply tells prisoners, hey, I see you. You're not a criminal. You're filled with potential. You know, you're not a drug dealer. You're an incredible entrepreneur who can really make a difference. You're not your cycle of crime. You're not. You are ready for success. You know what? I, I, I don't see the fact that you are a bad person. I see the fact that you're a loving parent. I see the fact that you're an incredible spouse. I see the, uh, the fact that you're ready to make a difference in this world. I see you. That's what Defy does. They say to prisoners, I see you. And now we get the chance right now to work in this gospel economy. Right now, right here, we get to partner with Defy. We get to give to Defy. We get to hear from Defy. We get to start today by saying what Peter said, what Jesus said, what our gospel says. We are not our failure. I see you.
Let's take a look at this video. Employee Richard Bronson, who works for Defy, and entrepreneur Cost Marte. Good afternoon, everybody. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you, Jonathan and Jen, for making this all possible. It means more than you can imagine. My name is Richard Bronson. I'm on the staff of Defy Ventures, and this is Cost Marte, who uh, went through our program as an entrepreneur in training, as we call them, or an EIT. We'll hear more about his story in just a minute. Uh, Defy is a nonprofit. Uh, we are a faith-based organization founded by Catherine Hoke, who you met earlier. And we're based, our organization is based on the premise that everybody deserves a second chance. We work with men and women who were formerly incarcerated. And we work with them because they are faced with the challenge of coming out of prison and having to find themselves a job and going on endless job interviews and filling out endless job applications that inevitably ask at a certain point along the way, have you ever been convicted of a crime? And because they check off that they have, that inevitability continues whereby the application ends in the garbage can. And this goes on and on and on, and every time it goes on, these folks are pushed harder and harder and closer and closer to going back to their life that they once knew on the street. And so the cycle continues. Bless you. Um, I think we all are seeing more and more press reports about what's going on in this country. And I think even the most stubborn person would admit at this point that our fight against crime and the the criminal justice system is profoundly broken. Longer prison sentences and more jail cells has not uh, addressed any problem at all. It has ruined families and human lives and cost us as a society tens of billions of dollars annually. It just doesn't work. Uh, our approach, as I say, is to teach skills so that Folks can learn how to put together a business plan and learn about marketing and advertising and sales and legal considerations so that they don't no longer have to fill out applications and, in fact, can take control of their future and create their own job and create their own job for others and be able to make legitimate decisions that aren't necessarily going to throw them back into trouble that they've been before. Our system, surprisingly or not, works really well. Uh, people who go through our system, and we've had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, uh, they're not facing recidivism rates of close to 80%, as Jonathan points out, but much closer to 5%. And nearly all of our people are employed, either in businesses through businesses that they've created or that their pal may have created through the program, or because they learned skills along the way and the, the help we gave them in getting them placed in jobs. Uh, I heard about Defy. I was intrigued, like probably many of you were. I thought I would donate a few dollars and maybe volunteer some time. But it really resonated with me because I, too, was incarcerated at one time. And I went through the whole experience. 
Uh, I used to work on Wall Street. I made a lot of money. I was greedy. I have no one to blame but myself. And I beat myself up for it every single day. I got out of jail 10 years ago. I paid back every penny, and I still do it. So I was always looking for a second chance, and that's what brought me to Defy. The same thing that brought all of our clients that we serve, good people who are looking, who, are, who had terrific businesses on the street, who had terrific drug dealing businesses, who employed lots of people, who knew what they were doing. You know, the only problem was it was illegal. All right. Give them a break. They were doing most of it was right. But the fact was, was if they were given an opportunity to do something legitimate, they would have been Mark Zuckerberg. They would have been successes had they had that opportunity. And it's our goal to give them that opportunity, some for the first time, some as second chances. One of the people that came our way uh, was one of those incredible entrepreneurs, Cas Marte, who stands at my right. Cas began dealing drugs at the age of 13. By the time he was 19, he had a drug empire, earning him a couple of million dollars a year. But, of course, you know the story. He got caught, and he got put away. And, uh, you know, that's where his story really becomes interesting. So, first... What I'd like to do is I'd like to introduce to you Cas Marte, my good friend here. Thank you. Um, Cas, you were a big drug deal. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You went to prison. Were you, did you feel guilty about what you were doing? Was it wrong what you were doing from your point of view? Uh, at that time, I, I didn't believe I was doing anything wrong. I thought I was just... I thought I was just doing a job. I grew up in a heavily drug-infested neighborhood in the Lower East Side in the 80s and 90s where all I seen was, like, dope lines going around the block and, you know, heroin needles in the street. It was just something that people did, and I felt like I was doing a job when I was growing up. And you were doing it well, obviously, a job. All right, so you were, up, you were in prison for several years. You were due to get out soon. You had an altercation with a prison guard? Yeah, so in towards the end of my incarceration, I uh, I ended up with uh, in, in solitary confinement because this prison guard decided to put his hands on me. I turned around on him. I didn't touch him. They threw me into solitary confinement, um, beat the hell out of me. And at that point, I was I felt hopeless. And they gave me they only gave me a few items. They took away all my property, and they gave me a paper, pen, paper, pen, pencil, no, paper, pen, and an envelope, my bad, and my Bible. Um, Were you a Bible reader? No. No. Uh, so this Bible I always had, it was always sitting in the corner of my cell. I never picked it up. I thought God and religion was just all a hoax. Um, at that point, I felt a little bit hopeless, and I felt I hit, I hit rock bottom. I wrote, I wrote out this 10-page letter out to my family, letting them know I'm not coming home. I messed up again, and I was about to be released in a couple months, and due to that altercation, I had to do an extra year in prison. Okay, so you wrote this letter, but there was a yeah. problem. Yeah, I, I enclosed this letter, and I realized I didn't have a stamp to send out this letter with. 
And at that point, I was just completely frustrated. I felt like the victim. Every, I hated every correctional officer. I hated the system. And a week later, my sister writes me and finds out that I'm in solitary confinement. And she's super religious. I, I call her Mother Teresa Jr. Um, and she writes me and tells me to read Psalm 91 from the Bible. Uh, at that point, I'm like, hell no. I just, like, toss the letter to the side. I don't believe in God. It's, you know, or whatever. And um, after sitting for another week in a solitary confinement, 24-hour lockdown, I said, why not? I picked up the Bible. I was super bored. And I turned to Psalm 91. I laid back on my bed. And I started reading Psalm 91. What, what does Psalm 91 say? It, it states that he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And those are the first two verses. Uh, and when I read that, a stamp fell out between the Psalm pages. And it was a stamp that I needed to send out this 10-page letter. And let my family know that I was in trouble. And, and as soon as that happened, I still get goosebumps every time I say it. Um, I felt free. I felt scared at, at that point, And I, I felt like something was bigger than myself. I was not the man anymore. I was not the kingpin that they called me uh, in the news and whatever before. Um, I began to read the Bible from front to back. I just really started dissecting everything and and taking it in and really understood that I was not only affecting my family and, you know, everybody else around me, but I sold drugs to ten thousands of people. And I started realizing they had families too and I, I was destroying my community. And I I felt really regretful and I I didn't know how to give back until I, I started uh I, until I realized that I was already giving back. So in in the beginning of my uh, my incarceration, I was told that I, I could die in prison because of my health issues. Um, I was highly overweight. I I said I was not going to die in prison, and I managed to lose over 70 pounds in six months in my 9 by 6 prison cell. And I, I started this whole program in the yard, helping people in the yard lose weight, work out. And um, as soon as I, I came uh, at that time, I realized that that was my gift, this is the way I could give back to my community. So I came back home, and I was and released. And that's when you heard about the fight. Yeah, I, I was released from prison. I started doing the workouts right in the park for free, and then I bumped into Defy Ventures. And it was like, you're an illegal entrepreneur that has the transferable skills to become a legal entrepreneur. So I started, I turned my, my fitness uh, idea into a business, and now it's doing really well because uh, of the fire. I've been connected with so many executives, and it's just been an amazing journey. Now I have like two thousand customers. I employ, uh, you know, two people, two of my trainers who are ex-offenders, um, and I'm I'm giving back. And I I was giving a great, um, I, I call it my first chance because I didn't grow up with a first chance. This is where I, I was a product of my environment, and now. I'm giving that first chance to, you know, I would never be in a position I'm, I am now if it wasn't because of Defy and connecting me with executives and people that could help me build my business plan. Like I, I hang out with the CEO of the New York Stock Exchange. I train a couple of his employees. Like it's, it's just been an amazing journey. 
it has been an amazing journey. You're an amazing guy. Thank you. We want to just thank you so much for having us. We welcome your involvement. We'll be in the back afterwards. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts. And as one quick thing, as an entrepreneur, I have to ask. Uh, I know I didn't do this in the last service, but if you want to come join my uh, program, hit me back up. <laughs> yes. Follow me on Instagram, Cost Athletics. Absolutely. So on, on May 3rd, when we give a lot of money to the five ventures and we all give extravagantly to them to help people like Cost, one of the uh, raffle prizes that we have uh, is, a, is like a, a gift pack of uh, training sessions with Cost. So yep. definitely worth winning. It's going to be good stuff. Hey, can we do this right now? Can you guys stay up on the stage? I wanna, let's pray for Defy. Can we stand together and just and pray for everything Defy is doing? Yeah, we can come back in the middle. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you that, that, uh, that you see us. We thank you that you see each of us. And that the, the worst thing that we have ever done doesn't even matter. Um, we thank you that, that you see um, all of our struggles and our brokenness and our doubts and everything else. And, and you go, oh, you're fully human. You're fully loved. Lord, we thank you for Defy that, uh, that answers the call to tell people that they're fully human and they're fully loved and that they can do more. We're thankful for, for Richard and Koss, people who, who you are using right now uh, to, to renew all things, to bring the betterment of all things uh, to all communities, to all people who are living out this vision. And Lord, we pray that you would put it on us to help and to know where to start and to partner well and to pray well and to give well, God. Lord, we thank you for the grace that picks us all up when we fall short. And we just thank you for the work that, uh, that you're allowing all of us to do in this time. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.